everyone else who showed up on this glorious Labor Day weekend and made this a priority. You did not want to miss out on the final sermon in Leviticus. There's been a buzz around the campus all day, around the sanctuary. People can't wait to turn to the end of Leviticus and see how it goes. So we're in Leviticus chapter 26 this morning. It's found on page 124 in your pew Bibles. Um, so if you didn't bring a Bible with you, we encourage you to follow along in the pew Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. We want you to have that Bible and to take it home. It is not stealing from us. Um, they're actually there for that purpose. So that way you can get into the word of God and have it at your fingertips. So we are in Leviticus chapter 26. Um, we're going to read it in sections. So there's two different sections we're going to read in chapter 26. We're going to read verses 3 through 18, and then we will skip ahead to verse 40 and go 40 through 46. Um, now, after that, I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open because during the sermon, I will turn to another scripture, and that is Galatians chapter 3, which is on 1155 in your pew Bible. So if you want to thumb and find that as well, so when we get there, um, I tell you that simply because there's a good chunk of scripture I'm going to read from Galatians this morning. And so our first scripture, Leviticus 26, beginning in verse 3, there it's written. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall, in, shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and your sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long kept and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. But if you do not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statues and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if, in spite of this, you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for
for your sins. And now we jump ahead to verse 40. And we pick up there where it's written, But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. But the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. And they shall make amends for their iniquity because they spurned my rules and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them, so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. But I will, for their sake, remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and rules and laws that the Lord made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, I know we've made it to the end of Leviticus, and and truth be told, it hasn't been as painful as we were really expecting. In fact, for a lot of us, it's been quite eye-opening when we read Leviticus through our Jesus goggles. But before we get into this part of Leviticus today, I want to go back to the beginning. And not just the beginning of Leviticus, the beginning of everything, right? So so creation itself, we're in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? It was there at creation that God separates the land from the water. He builds paradise. He creates all the plants, the flying things, the creeping things, the walking things, the ox, the cows, the horses, the fishes. And then from the dust, he creates man, grabs a hold of his nose and breathes life into him. And then he finds that it, shall not, it is not good for man to be alone, but he needs a companion. And so he creates a woman, Eve, to be with Adam. And he says it is very good. And we are told that upon this creation, that there Adam and Eve live in this place called the Garden of Eden. We call it paradise. We know it as as paradise here on earth because it was this perfect place that there was no sin. Here in the beginning of creation, there is no sin For God's people, Adam and Eve. They were given a rule, though. They were given a commandment. Don't eat that fruit from that tree. And so God lived with them, dwelt among them, walked with them. He was a conversation partner with them. It was as if they were the closest of friends they could be there in paradise. And so as God watched Adam and Eve grow and develop. 
They were told of that statue. Don't eat that fruit from that tree. And then the fall entered into creation. Sin entered the world. For Adam and Eve ate that fruit from the tree and they hid themselves from God when God showed up before they knew that they were now naked before God. And now sin has entered into the world. And God had told them when he gave them this rule, you don't eat this fruit from this tree, there was a consequence, right? Because a rule without a consequence is more of a suggestion, right? But a rule with a consequence should be followed. And the consequence was this. If you eat this fruit from this tree, death. That's the consequence for eating this fruit from this tree. And Adam and Eve had done so. And so now God, in, in, in his mercy, decides not to smite them in that very moment, but rather he expels them from paradise. And he guards it so they can't get back in. But before he expels them, after he's done cursing the serpent, but before he lays a curse, the, uh, some consequences on the woman and on the man, he promises redemption, that redemption will come through a Messiah. And so then he, he gives the curse to the women that they will have pains in their labors, and then the curse to the men that they will toil and, and, and struggle with the land for it to produce any fruit and grains, that they will now have real work to do. And then here in Leviticus, we see God's people through the years between creation to now. In Leviticus, it's Moses on Mount Sinai. People live in a fallen world. Their sin natures have been revealed. There's rebellion against God at every turn from his people and from their enemies. But what we see still in God's holiness, in God's justice, we also see his love and his grace. For while his people are rebelling against him, he offers to them and gives to them this sacrificial system that when they sin and trespass against God, when they don't keep all his commands and statutes, there are burnt offerings, grain offerings, whole offerings, and then there's the day of atonement so that they can be made right with God because God is holy, right? And, and we heard the word abhors several times in our scripture today. It's a fancy word for, for really can't stand to be around at all and wish it didn't even exist, Right? abhors. It's, 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 it's more than a hate to abhor there. And so, and so God creates this system so that every time there's sin, there's trespass, that they can go and make amends for it and be right with God because God is holy and God wants his people to be holy. He doesn't want them to be defiled, but he wants them undefiled. He doesn't want them unclean. He wants us clean. He doesn't want us to be with sin. He wants us to be righteous and without sin. And so he creates this system, but this system, what it does, it comes with a set of laws, and these laws get really hard to follow. And so every time you miss a law, there comes a sacrifice to be made, and it only covers your sin for a small period of time. Remember, it's a forbearance of sins and not a forgiveness of sins. But what we see 
As we read this scripture, we, we see creation, we hear this law given by God, and now we've read our scripture today, and we think a bit forward into the New Testament and how it ends in Revelation, that it's God's desire. This is very core to his character. It's God's desire to dwell with his people. This is very core of who God is. He wants to dwell. He wants to be with. He wants to live with. He wants to do life with. He wants to be a conversation partner. He wants to walk around with his people, with you. This is what God wants in this world to be able to do. But he's holy and just, and so he struggles with that. And so in our scripture today, as we read these laws given, we're like, finally, this is the Leviticus we all knew was there. There were laws and there was rules, and then there were consequences. And so we read today, and what we see is the juxtaposition of divine blessing and divine curse next to each other. Follow the rules, keep the covenant, here is the blessing. Fall short, and here is the curse. Now, divine blessing, I want us to understand clearly what it is. It is not what 2022 would call hashtag blessed. We live here in the south. We're in Florida, but we're still technically the south because we haven't gone further south than Orlando yet. But we're still in the South, and you can buy those shirts, Blessed Life, hashtag blessed, and, and go about our day. But that's not what divine blessing is. Divine blessing, as recorded in God's Word, in the Holy Scripture, we find in verse 11 and 12 today. Here in chapter 26, it says, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. Divine blessing, the blessing of scripture, the blessing that God wants to pour out on us is his very presence. He wants to be with us. And so here, as the law is given through Moses on Mount Sinai to give to his people, he promises this blessing. God says, my end of the covenant is this blessing. I will be your God and I will dwell with you. I won't abhor you. But the Israelites' end of the covenant, right, is that they will keep the law. All of the law, fully and completely. And that failure to keep this law brings about divine curse. Now, we know this isn't new for God. We saw it at creation, that there would be divine curse for breaking the law. This is part of God's holiness and justice, that, that disobedience le leads to death, that we understand that the wages of sin are death. And in fact, we skipped over reading a lot of the divine curse. We just got a very short taste of it at the beginning, but for verses and verses, it continues on this curse for those that don't follow the commandments. And it, and it ends in, in really quite a, a sad and lonely way. His people, he scatters in, their, in disciplining them. He scatters them out of the land that he promised them because they aren't keeping the statutes. They abhor his rules. They want nothing really to do with God. And so 
he scatters them out of their land, and now they must live amongst their enemies, and not only live amongst their enemies, but they will die there and end their earthly life. It's a consequence. The consequence is death, and it seems to be quite lonely and scattered and far apart from their people. Now, we've gone through Leviticus. We're here at the end. And we understand that through these five weeks, we're reading this with our Jesus classes today. So right now, we're all wondering, how does this actually connect to the New Testament? And well, folks, we've been given the New Testament as a way to help us interpret the Old Testament. It's there. It, it gives us the key. It unlocks the scripture. It shows us how glorious, how wonderful, how loving and gracious God is through all of this. And there's a man named, named Paul. He's an apostle. He used to be Jewish. He was a Pharisee. In fact, he was one of the youngest studs of, of the Pharisees there in Jerusalem. He was a rising star. And so he was such a good Pharisee. He abhorred Christians. Like God abhors sin, he abhorred Christians so much to the fact that he would hunt them down and have them stoned for they were blaspheming God in his understanding. That was until God got a hold of him, and God made Paul his, and God became a faithful Christian. And so Paul writes a lot of letters to the churches that, that come in the Roman Empire, because he goes around and starts a lot of churches. And this is where we flip to Galatians chapter 3. And it's there in verse 10 that we're going to pick up, because Paul gives us a key here to this law-keeping this divine blessing and this divine curse. He writes, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not faith. Rather, one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Paul gives us a key right here to Leviticus because Paul, in, in writing to the Galatians, there came this issue. There, there are Christians at this church in Galatians, just like we're a church here. But all of a sudden, someone else came and preached, and, and because Christianity was this new thing, they began preaching, well, not, having faith in Jesus is great, but you must also be circumcised. And if you're not circumcised, your faith is not enough. And Paul gets wind of this, and he says, oh, hold on a second, folks. If, if you're going to put yourself under the law, which is what circumcision does, is, is you want to go and keep these laws and these statutes that, that God has provided, then you are putting yourself then under the divine curse of the law. So if you want to go do law-keeping, you have put yourself outside of grace and now have put yourself under divine curse because he says this is the reality of the reality of the things. When he writes to the Romans, he says, all have sinned 
all fall short of the glory of God. No one makes it. When you try and do works righteousness and good works and just be a good person, and isn't that enough? Folks, you're living under the law at that point and not under grace. For you've put your faith in yourself and your own abilities to appease God and make yourself righteous before God. And that's what Paul's writing here to the Galatians. He says, no, 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 that's not how any of this works. In fact, when you do those works and you're doing them not in a grateful response for the grace you've received, but you're doing them in order so that you might be righteous before God, you're putting yourself under the law and you won't be able to keep it. And when you can't keep it, you fall under the curse. Paul puts it another way. When he writes to the Ephesians, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But there's good news. There's good news here, folks. It's good news that we will fall short on our own, because we recognize that. If we have a bit of self-awareness, we realize how utterly we lack self-righteousness to even be in the presence of a holy and just God who is our creator and our father. And so there's good news here because Paul also writes, he says, it is Jesus who became a curse for us. It is Jesus by being Hanged on a tree, for anyone who is hanged on a tree is a curse. Jesus hangs on that cross and sheds his blood so that we wouldn't just have forbearance of sins, but we would have forgiveness of sins. And it is Jesus that when he comes and lives, that he lives the perfect righteous life. Jesus was perfect under the law. Jesus kept it perfectly. So Jesus did not deserve any divine curse. He did not deserve any punishment. Yet willingly, as our Lord and Savior goes to the cross and sheds his blood so that we might be forgiven. He took that curse so that we could receive the divine blessing. Remember what that is? We read it there in verse 11 and 12. So that God will dwell among us. He will be our God and we will be his people. Paul writes it a different way there in the Galatians. If you picked up on it there at the end of what he was writing, he says, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Right? That's God. That's God, and we're told in other parts of Scripture that when we have our faith in Jesus, we are given the Holy Spirit who dwells in us because Jesus has made us righteous before God, and now God's Spirit dwells in us, and we have its power. But Paul also says that's just a guarantee. That's a guarantee of your future salvation, that it is locked up and made for you in heaven. Jesus tells us that he goes to prepare a place for us, that we will live in our Father's house, that there is a room there for us, that we get the divine blessing because of Christ's good work, not because of ours, but because of Christ 
completed, sufficient work on the cross. What good news that is. But over these five weeks and over today, if you've heard nothing else, I want you to hear now this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, proving God's love for us. Amen? Amen. Amen.